will say I enjoy everything about Catholicism except for the Jesus part. Like, I think everything else about Catholicism. Well, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I think 75% of Catholicism minus Jesus is really good. Um, subtracting the molest. <laughs> and um, the priest who can't get married. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my sweet baby that's, game. That's that's the last thing I need is hosts of comic book podcasts get canceled for supporting molest. So <laughs> okay, okay. Sidebar from that, you have to know that when I went to Catholic middle school, no, I passed out doing the stations of the cross <laughs> because it was there was i swear there was no air conditioning in oh, that yeah. church and i was like in a sweater but let me tell you renee the story that went around was that i was moved by the spirit and passed out during the stations no. of the cross they did it on purpose they were like some kid's gonna pass the fuck out oh and i'm taking another deep breath Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Read This Way. I am your host, Jace Wingate, and this is... Renee Pogue. That's me. Other host. Other host. And we are just two mermaids who didn't trade away our voices to get our legs. But we can't sing anyway, so it's kind of bittersweet. It was a good deal, in my opinion. I traded my singing voice for this ham sandwich. (laughs) True love is fleeting, but I'll feast on this ham for days. I think mine was stolen. Like, I think it was like identity theft of my singing voice was just taken. So I didn't get anything. You're just (laughs) filling out one of those questionnaires at the fish grocery store, but it was really an identity thief. (laughs) He stole stole your merman social security number and your voice. One of these days. One of these days. Straight to the moon. Straight to the moon. That's literally the only thing I the I know two things about the honeymooners. One is straight to the moon, and two is that Flintstones is like a very brash ripoff of it. It's all that I think that's all that we need to know. Yeah. What's this jacket? Welcome. Welcome to the Nick at Night podcast where we discuss your favorite black and white shows that came on at 9 p.m. when you were a child. Welcome to the Nick at Night podcast where there will be a knock at the door and we'll see who is the outside. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. Kat tricked me into watching Megan is Missing. She tricked me. No. Traumatized mama. Traumatized. Like, have you, are you aware of this movie? Yes, I know about Megan is missing. Kat was like, oh, uh, let's watch this. I don't think you'll like it because, you know, it's got some stuff you don't like. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. If it, if it happens, I'll just leave the room or whatever. Too realistic. Although I would love to know how they were chat, how, how they were video chatting on their phones in 2006. I am never, everyone that I know now is everyone that I will know for the rest of my life. I'm not meeting any new people. 
Oh yeah, no, no new friends. I am not talking to anyone that I don't already know, and that includes listeners. If any listeners email me at this point, I'm just gonna forward it to you. I'm just gonna forward it to you. I from, handle all of the fan mail from the readthisway.podcast gmail. I'll just forward it to the readthisway.podcast gmail and be like, Jace, check the email. I the joke the joke it's is that you do, you do that and no one gets responded to cuz I'm like <laughs> I read it and then I just don't respond. <laughs> Never respond. You read it and you're like I'm not in the mood. I'm like oh I'm it's truly me being like oh I have like eight other things I need to do before this but I'll come back and respond and then never respond mm-hmm. because you do the other eight things. Oh yeah, that's what I do with texts all the time. Like especially on like Instagram, if somebody is like, I'm really bad about this with my friend Julian, he'll send me like a TikTok or a video and I'll look at it and I'll either be like watching a movie with Kat or working or just like doing something where I can't have sound on. And I'm like, oh, I'll watch that later. And then two days later, I'm like, oh, fuck, he's going to think I hate him. But in reality, I just have ADD. Navigating this world undiagnosed. Right. A right. dual memoir. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- that is one of my favorite parts of editing the edit episode is like clicking around in like all of our weird conversations before we officially start and finding <laughs> just like there's usually like three or four candidates and then just being like, <laughs> okay, yeah, this one. This is the one I'm going to choose to put in the very beginning. Editing our show is truly a choose your own adventure. <laughs> What story do we want to tell today? Uh, speaking of, I don't know. That seems mean. Speaking of trust no bitch. <laughs> Welcome to Read This Way, where we are covering <laughs> blankets. <laughs> so if you're joining us in this episode and you haven't watched the other three episodes that you see subsequently titled Blankets Part 1, Blankets Part 2, Blankets Part 3, I strongly urge you, like, this isn't a, you should sit here and still listen. Let it keep playing for the algorithm so that people will see our podcast showing up more. But I strongly urge you for continuity reasons and just like pure linear storytelling to go back and listen to part one of Blankets into part two, into part three, and then join us here at part four. I encourage you to pause right now and now that you listen to the other parts i welcome you back to this moment so if you're just joining us on this episode we are currently delving into the part four of our series where we split up the graphic novel blankets uh to give you a brief recap of what we covered on our other three episodes uh blankets follows a story of craig who grows up in the wisconsin frozen tundra And it deals uh, succinctly with his relationship with the church and his relationship growing up in kind of a theocratic world where everything is kind of dictated by one's relationship with Christ. And it evolves into this kind of love affair that happens between a young woman Craig meets at church camp named Raina. And we kind of get to be a fly on the wall in their relationship and how they grow together as both humans and potentially lovers. Uh, Where we left behind in part three, 
we see Craig kind of titrating into Raina's real life where her friends at school are a little bit cooler than he expects. And Raina is a little bit cooler than he expects. And he feels as though the relationship that they have alone in isolation while he's visiting becomes a little bit more distant when he's introduced into her everyday life. And the final moments that we're left with, they're on a ride back to Raina's house. And Raina is lamenting to him about how being in love could be just a little bit too much for her in this moment. Yeah, she's basically saying, you know, her parents' relationship self-destruct and hates the relationship her sister has. So... It's just that very teenage mindset of, I haven't seen a good representation of love. I don't know if I want to get involved in it. And I'm like, me too, girl. I'm trying to give Raina a lot more leeway than Craig is. Y'all are talking about some like hardcore shit at 17. I was just trying to be Kingdom Hearts 2 and like not let my mom know that I was playing video games during the weekdays. (laughs) See, Craig is one of those people, and I can relate to this, where he's like, old soul at 17 and then i guarantee that when he was like 24 25 he was reckless as shit because if you don't get this if you don't get this out of your system when you're a teenager then you spend your 20s doing it straight up i was that way that i'm gonna speak through this tragic story and my commentary of it i submit this to the uh midnight Society. society For approval. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. (laughs) Does this feel like, I feel like we've lived actual like decades in these two weeks. It's weird because in one way I feel like so much has happened, but in another way I feel like we're constantly in in an Ouroboros where it just fluctuates in the same way. Seriously. Well, and like, again, we only get it from Craig's perspective, truly. So it's Mm -hmm. like, how much of this was truly like just a normal two weeks? Exactly. Exactly. How much of this is, you know, because we do get a glimpse, a short glimpse where he just kind of talks about the mundane things that all kind of wander aimlessly and blend together. Who's in the wheelchair? I believe that is supposed to be Laura. It's the only person I feel like it could be. I agree. Because I'm like, she's drawn the same as Laura. Yeah. So I feel like it has to be Laura. I don't rem- know why she would be in a wheelchair. But it it seems like it has to be. I mean, we haven't really seen any grandparents or anything like that. And uh, just kind of that jovial, cheery face just reminds me a lot of Laura. Tell us, Craig Thompson, if you're listening. Craig Thompson, if you can hear us right now. Also, I would like to send him my doctor's bills for the whiplash that he does on every single chapter. Like the last time, last episode, or last episode when we did, it was like, oh, this wonderful moment where him and Raina are spending time together. Next chapter starts with kids peeing on each other. Chapter ends. Chapter ends. With him and Reyna having this very sad, somber moment together where you're not sure where their relationship is going to go forward, begins with with them 
frolicking in the snow together. Yes. And her saying, help me sleep tonight. Like, listen, sir, consistency. You know, I really loved, um, and this is also where I get a little weird. I'm like, is this you kind of like ruminating on your perception of what Reina's like familial life is like when you have Reina's dad and the juxtaposition of like her sister and her husband in Hawaii? Uh, yeah, fucking sister's husband. Truly? He's just like a fucking creep, like pointing at like topless women being like, tell me that ain't paradise. And just the look Craig gives him just sends me. I'm right there with you, Craig. Oh, I'm like, you can be in hell and still be living. <laughs> like health can be self-induced. Also, did you catch how similar um, Raina's brother-in-law and her father look? I did. And I was attracted to both. <laughs> you wonder if this is truly what those two people looked like or if Craig is trying to like if it's part of the story he's weaving where you have this sister who is so frustrated with the way she was treated by her parents that she married the first person she could and that person happens to look just like her father but like a skeevy version like he's almost like the yin yang version well, you know, Andy's wearing high heels in one of those panels. <laughs> that was the '80s, so I think those are like the. I think they're supposed to be like cowboy boots. They're definitely but- heels. <laughs> You're like, I know heels when I see yeah, them. Those are like those are like borderline no longer kitten heels. They're like straight to heel territory. Hmm. I just I can't. I know we're not supposed to like. Reina's sister and her husband but I just really don't like them like the few scenes we've been in they just seem like awful people well it's what I I don't it's like escaping but escaping in the wrong way it's like escaping just to escape and then not even reflecting on where you where you had come from Mm -hmm. and just like still being angry where you are now Yeah, you barely take responsibility for your daughter. Why did you have a child if you're so eager to be away from it all the time? Yeah, she seems like a shitty person. Uh, I feel for Raina's dad so much. You should (laughs) tell Rob that you're going to be a thruple now. You have to find Raina's dad. Somebody needs to love him because he is so sweet. I'm going to go find Raina's dad. (laughs) <laughs> finding Raina's dad a dual memoir hold on I have to skip ahead a little bit can we talk about how I was right about where Raina lived my little bit of research and I was 100% right that she lived in Marquette you nailed it I would just like some validation for that I'm so. here to validate you and give you that attention right now thank you thank you call up Marquette, just like go through the Marquette phone book and be like, hello, is this Reina? Let me speak to your father. Talk to her dad. Be like, are you with someone? Do they make you feel held? There's just like a sad juxtaposition between like that one panel of Reina's sister and her husband like on their beach, wherever the fuck. And their poor dad in the cold. And then I guess... 
I believe this is the first time we see Reyna and Craig actually kiss, but I can't remember. I think they've come close a lot of times, but this is the first time we like actually see it. And it's so bleak. It's really sad because you see like this teenage happiness juxtaposed with this couple who you can tell that her dad still loves her mom so much but there's this separation and there's this barrier he can't cross he can just stand sit there and watch so sad i did love their whole conversation about lust versus temptation yeah i thought that was a really also another really interesting conversation to have at such a young age right jesus christ these are (laughs) these are some very smart kids because these are very deep conversations to be having and i like how for craig you can tell that he connects that lust that negative emotion with what looks like and a very gruesome evil caricature of the babysitter yes and then the tempta- temptation though temptation is i mean it's you know the forbidden fruit story but it's still in a more positive light temptation is reina temptation is something positive how did you feel about his take on that um uh, god was benevolent and waiting until both had sinned before kicking them out of the garden it definitely feels like something he was taught but it's it's a flippant hopeful response like i think it's taking her perspective of this which honestly this is one of the things that drove me from the church being a woman in the church is very difficult and what reina says is one of the reasons why is because you still have these sects of Christianity who will who put a lot of blame on women for the original sin. And you can tell by her face that that's something she's aware of. And that's something that's already weighing on her at this young age. And Craig, who is not happy-go-lucky, but he's definitely in the throes of this happiness. So in his mind... Oh, it's not all bad because they left Eden together. Isn't it great that they got to leave Eden together because it's easier to handle that shame when you have somebody to share it with, which, of course, is foreshadowing what comes later in this chapter. It's such a beautiful assessment, and it's so succinct and just so wonderful to listen to that all mm-hmm. I could possibly think to riff off of it, I and I felt the impulse and I was like, it takes away from the dynamic of your assessment is that I never found out what the mom's pills were. We still don't know. We never know. I'm very frustrated that we didn't find out. I want to know. Yeah. Like I honestly, I, I know we've talked before about how it's, it's very respectful the way Craig treats this whole situation. I mean, part of it, is because he's only focusing on Reyna. He doesn't necessarily pry into what's going on with her parents. So, but I kind of wish he was a little more curious because I'm curious. Where's Professor Lake? Where's Professor Lake? He would have found out. 
he would have found out he would have he would have put his um humanity aside and let the pride take hold exactly he would have gotten eaten by a bear and froze to death but he would have found out he would have found out <laughs> and now we'll never know thank you thanks craig good job craig w- wwpld <laughs> Yes, I need that. Just <laughs> fuck everything else. Stay curious. It's gonna be one of our merch when we start getting merch. WWPLD. Yes. WWPLD. Fuck everything. Stay curious. It's gonna be like the back where like the top of the neck is. It's the front's gonna be WWPLD. Back is gonna be fuck everything. Stay curious. Mm-hmm. I love it. Get in touch with us, Teespring or Threadless, whichever one gets in touch Someone- with us first. Give us money to keep making this podcast. (laughs) So, okay. How did you feel about this just like very teenage moment that the two of them have where they'd kind of talk about running away together and they kind of tease back and forth because it's just like very fruitless to think of, but they also both very much want to escape their surroundings it's just like a very it felt like a very humanizing teenage moment for me where you assume everything will be easy because you've never well i'm not gonna say you've never had to deal with anything difficult but everything everything difficult you've had to deal with has been under that blanket of parental or parental figure guidance i think that like you know when you're i've i've been separated from being a child for about 11 years now i think what i remember so succinctly about being a child is marrying that idea of like wanting to build a life but also what i did in my most recent childhood does that make sense Hmm. yeah so I think absolutely so I think I think what's so beautiful about what they do and I've done that. And I know that like before I was in my very committed relationship, I would do this with people that I would go on dates with that. If we found ourselves in really intimate moments, the most vulnerable thing that could come out was talking about childhood. Like, Oh, this is what Mm -hmm. I did in my child. Oh, I would wander in my front yard and pretend that I was like a warrior. And like they held the stories hold no meaning except for the relationship to grow deeper, to become more vulnerable. Like, let me tell you these deep, really intimate things that I did as a child to reveal more of myself to you. Mm -hmm. And I, and I agree. I love that it kind of starts as this, like, let's run away together. Let's like, let's start a new life. But then like in telling those like really small childhood stories, it, uh, uh, a life has begun anew. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's like the teasing deepens their relationship into this place of like, oh, and let me tell you this really intimate, vulnerable story about what my brother and I used to do. What's your relationship with your brother? Oh, I don't really know what he does anymore. And I love that it kind of becomes this like kickstart to having this really great relationship with his brother again. That was really special to me. Yes, I thought that was a particularly great outcome 
for that. I, I, I love that it led him to pursue that again because especially I loved that because, you know, I was curious about Craig for like the past few chapters. I've been like, come on, show me what Craig is like now. And so to get that, that it's, it's Phil, right? You know, brotherhood back. Hmm. Is his name oh, Phil? Shit. No, you're fine. Oh, shit. His name is Phil. I think I said Craig. Sorry. No, you're fine. I only asked because I'm like, it's not. Craig is the main. I was like, Craig that's why I didn't say main. Phil's name. Because oh, I was like, no, you're <laughs> fine. You're fine. It's literally like, I just couldn't remember Phil's name. And I was, I went on a limb. I was like, I think his name's Phil. <laughs> uh, okay. And I was like, I, I have to say, the um, just like the scene of them in bed together was very lovely. Although it is weird, like, do you think they banged? Because it seems like they're doing the classic Christian, like, everything but sex thing. I think they, like, I think they like bad teachered and like did some fraudage through the jeans. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a second to remember that. <laughs> but, hey, man, that's a classic teenage move too. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think Laura might be. I think she might be in a wheelchair because we see her. I don't think I've ever seen Laura completely standing up. I think she's always kind of crawled. Oh, okay. Or leaned against someone. By the way, that's a huge jump because I am still looking at Raina's titties. <laughs> You're like, wait, where is he? What part is this? <laughs> oh, and she starts singing The Cure, which is like, oh my God, it's so cheesy, but- I would be so uncomfortable. I like, unless you are a Broadway singer and we're potentially sleeping together, don't sing to me. I can't take yeah. it. I do love how he, cause you know, you would think that with the way he is, he would feel a degree of guilt. Like almost the way he did when he was a child and he got in trouble for, you know, drawing the nude figure. And we see like Jesus facing away from him, but then the face turns and it's, he feels good. And it's like, you would think he would feel some level of shame, but he doesn't. He just feels happiness. And I think that is so important especially for teenagers to just know that these things you feel are good and they're okay. And if you're happy and the other person's happy, and this is something that you both feel like you should engage in, then it's a good thing. You're not damaged. You're not harming yourself. You know, it's beautiful when two people who love each other or who want to do this together come together and do it. God looked at me and he didn't pass judgment. Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, I did this thing that I'm told is terrible. And then in this moment, I saw God looking at me in what I can imagine to be a vision. And it wasn't judgment. It was just being seen. You expect shame, but instead you find beauty. And like the gentle murmur of spirits in the room, just this beauty in the patterns he sees around them and this just like connectedness which is also why and i know we're going to get to this which is why i get so mad at him later i get really i there's a part coming up that really just like hit me in the gut in a way that i did not like and i got i can't wait to find out which part it is (laughs) 
Also, I feel like I've told you before that I've only seen one Twilight movie and I was rooting for Charlie the whole time. Raina's dad, and I'm sure he has a fucking name, but I have no idea what it is and I don't know if they've told us. Raina's dad just gives me huge Charlie Swan vibes. And I think they're not saying his name to protect him from me. <laughs> I didn't get, they didn't get give a name. Like, I think Craig Thompson wrote this knowing like he's going to read this. And he's going to want to find a new partner in this. Craig's like, I got to be careful. Everybody's going to be thirsting after this Midwestern beefcake. He has a beefcake. He gives me the strong Charlie Swan vibes. Like he's trying his hardest. He doesn't exactly know the right things to do, but he is full of love and empathy and understanding And he wants to be there for every single one of his kids. And he puts in the effort. And I was worried. I was so worried. I was like, oh, God. But then he just walks away. And it's with a little note of sadness. I love the panel that he walks away on is seeing his daughter happy. Mm -hmm. It's like he, he goes to say something and then sees that she is smiling in her sleep. And then... Takes note of that, closes the door, and then goes and gets the portrait album. Because, you know, that's his youngest biological daughter. And the oldest sister's makeup looks terrible. Oh, it's so 80s. It's so it's bad. So, that contour. She looks, <sighs> she looks like one of the dancers from the Addicted to Love video. <laughs> she does. Like, no offense, Raina's sister, who I also don't know the name of. Oh, God, and... You know, it's coming up next. Oh, wait, this isn't what I thought it was. This actually isn't what I thought it was. But I love the scene with the two beds. I absolutely love it. It is a little bit, as soon as it happens, you kind of know what to expect. But I don't think that it it doesn't feel derivative. But it is like, so the last time I mentioned, I'll mention it, I promise. With the exception of the scene where the two of them are just pissing on each other, I enjoy the scenes that we get with Craig and Phil as children because I think their interactions are so, they're so organic and natural and they, I mean, this is like a real sibling relationship. And it's nice to see that they are so close to each other. And so I love this where they can't help but spend time together, even though they des- when they do share a bed, they hate it. But it's like as soon as they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to sleep apart. It's an adjustment that they have to make. And it's that it like really captures that energy of like strangers tethered together by blood. Yes. Like there's no like I feel like in watching their relationship, there's nothing that I can like put my finger on that draws them together besides like time and blood. And I think there's something beautiful in that as well. Oh yes. Completely circumstance. Which is why they drift apart as they get older. Because they shift and change and they don't need to lean on each other so much. It's still just like the connection is still there. And like the same old game. That's what I love too is that it's like 
falling back on, oh, I'm being attacked. It's a shark attack. <laughs> I'm swimming. I'm I'm making it over to you. I hope I can make it. Ugh. And like, <laughs> I love, because what I love is that like, it really captures that whole, we go through trauma mm-hmm. and there's comfort at the end of it. And I do kind of love that you know they had to be noisy while they were doing this. Oh, but what yeah. doesn't happen is their dad doesn't come upstairs. Their dad doesn't punish them. Like, it's it's almost like the noise they're making now is the sounds of camaraderie. So, like, I don't know if there's some hidden scene where the dad thinks about going up and the mom stops him. But it is nice, you know, when you think about it, you're like, oh, no, they have to be making like a ton of fucking noise, like him screaming as he's fake paddling down the hallway. Like that has to make a lot of noise, but they are still allowed to have this silliness. It's nice. Well, and like a parent growing softer in old age or. They always do. They always do. And it's beautiful to watch. Mm hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to grow older and, you know, take hold of one's own adulthood and watch a parent kind of reevaluate their own adulthood. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like you have to once your kids reach a certain age. And I do it sometimes with my younger brother because he's four years younger than me. And like right now he's 30. And or is he 31? He's 31. And to me, it's like, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that I was 31. And it's just, you're forced to recognize the passage of time. I, next year, I will be as old as my mom was when she had me. So it's just such a strange thing to think of. I love that we finally get a little bit of backstory on Raina's mom because I feel like we got to hear a little bit from her father where he talks about the struggles he's having and how he doesn't understand what what went wrong in the marriage. And then we get all of this from Raina's mom where she talks and it's, you know, it is that struggle. Like it is very difficult to be working class and raising kids and trying to do all of these things and being pulled in so many directions and having so many things to do and so many places you have to go and so much you have to accomplish. It can be a strain on your marriage. And especially when it sounds like Raina's dad was probably caught up in a lot of his own stuff you know, probably also doing a lot to take care of the family, but just didn't realize how much he wasn't helping out or how much he wasn't contributing until it was too late. I almost wonder how much of that is or isn't coming up in therapy as well. Oh, of course. Where it's like, she can, I mean, and I understand that too, the difficulty of like admitting that to a complete stranger. But then like what she's mm-hmm. saying to Raina, it's easier to say it to like family than to say it to like a complete stranger trying to help you be a mediator. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I guess it's probably also difficult dredging all of that up when you're both there together. Oh my God. I'm just looking at when 
Craig's leaving and Laura is just distraught. There is no calming her down. I mean, Laura is like, Laura's my baby. I do think Laura is in, yeah, BC Crawl. So I think she is in a wheelchair for the most part. Maybe it's one of those where like, she could walk, but she just doesn't have the capability to walk for like long periods. Yeah. Similar to the way you would maybe like put a baby in a stroller, I think. Because I think Raina mentions that mentally Laura is like two or three. I think Laura is my favorite character. (laughs) She feels all the emotions for me, so I don't have to. Wherever Laura is now, I hope she is doing fantastic. I just love this family loved Craig so much. And that is reason number two why I will be so, (laughs) I can't, it's going to get to that moment and I'm going to be so mad. Oh my God, that drive back. It was, yeah. And it's sad that at least on the way there, her dad, who now we know his name, Steve. Thank you, Craig. Fucking finally, Steve, you know, he doesn't even talk on the way back because, you know, he's. He's depressed now because more shit has happened. You know, he's finally accepting the finality of his marriage. So we don't even have the conversation and dialogue from Steve to soothe us on the ride back. It's just silence, except for when these two weird little teenagers point out weird shit on their way back. (laughs) The Jesus billboards you only see in the Midwest and the South. Seriously. Jesus is the only fire insurance. Okay. Good Lord. All right. Good Lord. And then I did feel bad for poor little Craig. I mean, you can tell that he immediately is just like regretful for leaving. Like, of course, we know from earlier in this chapter, he doesn't really want to leave, but it's even worse when he's actually there and he has to accept that they're going to sleep in separate spots tonight. And that's sad. So he's just, you know, separated from Reyna. He's just off in the abyss. Well, and then, of course, immediately subject to judgment. Like, if I had known that you were, in- if you were more than just friends, I wouldn't have let you gone. How did you not know they were writing each other yeah, for like, months? Off, mom. <laughs> like, my mom, mom's. When they pay attention, moms know immediately when you oh, like they somebody. Know immediately. I love that he reconnects with Phil over video games. Well, it's because he gets that beautiful little note from Raina, which just kind of brings him back to the whole conversation she has with him about reconnecting with Phil. And you talk about Phil so much when you were kids, but why don't you really talk about him now? So his love for Reyna extends to him wanting to make this right and really reconnect, which I think is beautiful and lovely. And I love Phil. I love his weird little haircut. And I love when he's like, what have you been drawing? And he says, I've been on a lizard kick lately. Like, how fantastic is that? I would love somebody to just tell me that out of the blue. It's just like, oh, I've been on a lizard kick lately. Do you want to see this? sketch i drew of a lizard cowboy absolutely yes please oh yeah no i've just been really been on a real big lizard kick yeah 
I can show you what I've been working on if you want to see it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And his his little comic was hilarious. The eyebrow I fairy? Love. Yes, but it's like the opposite. Well, I guess it is the same as the Tooth Fairy because the Tooth Fairy takes teeth. I treasure mine. I treasure mine. <laughs> when he wakes when he wakes up and thinks he's still in the guest room, I've totally had those moments. Oh, yeah. That sadness that leads into Plato's allegory of the cave, which is such a weird – I believe this is the first time we get a non-biblical – story this kind of shook me yes am i back in freshman lit are we talking about plato's allegory of the cave but it's it's just very abrupt because every other time he's he's tied a story in with his emotions he's gone for a biblical story either a story from his childhood or one directly from the bible so i believe and listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. I believe this is the first time he pulls in a non-biblical story. And what a what a great connection to one. Like with the allegory of the cave, considering the image we see before of him burning his drawings and having that that nearly pagan moment of like exercising them out of himself. And then coming back to the paganism of being free from the reality that he's entering back into. And him, I guess it's him realizing that this isn't the reality he necessarily wants. And he feels yes. just very lost. So you send it for the SATs yet? Ugh. And what is that? What is that child fucking wearing on their head? I mean, I guess it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, I'm like, is that, a, is that a real haircut? That's that's like, just weird. Well, I love it too because I think it does kind of like capture being so absorbed in in organized religion um, for so long, and then to have that be what you turn around to. Like, have you signed up for the SATs? Have you signed up for the ACTs? It's like, oh, I don't know what the words are for it, but it's so just kind of like sobering. Yeah, because it's like. He realizes that everything he's believed up until then has been like those shadows on the wall. It's been what other people have portrayed for him. He hasn't been able to build this himself. What he sees is the interpretation of what other people are presenting. And then this heartbreak of like what he thought could be his, you know, escape into the sunlight, you know, and he just gets the shock back that sadness because it it you know it is very teenage of like this push and pull of the relationship and the carving out of a place for Craig in her life and finding out that it's not something that Raina feels she's able to do you know she doesn't have that space for him in everything that's going on with her life at the time how do you feel about the phone call? The phone call with Raina? Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And I think he, I think something snaps in him in that moment. I think that that is the catalyst for him where he starts to leave religion behind because that's when he realizes he has to build his own path. 
You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. have he doesn't have this muse he thought he had that was going to guide him into his next steps. He has to create his own next steps. He doesn't necessarily conform to the way he sees mainstream Christianity. So he doesn't he's getting to a point where he doesn't see a place for himself there. And I think that this phone call is I don't want to say it's what breaks him, but I think it's what shifts him. I think it's what puts him on the road less traveled. That at that point when, you know, he goes out and sees the sun, that's when the snow starts melting. That's where things that he hasn't seen for a while, things that he forgot about are starting to show. And it shows that there's an entirely different reality than what you're used to. And there's the way things are are not how you've been perceiving them. There's all of this beneath the surface that you forgot about because you haven't seen it for so long. You haven't addressed it for so long. You haven't approached it for so long. And I think that's where he that's where he starts to take this shift. Uh, you can tell that he's starting to like something in him is changing. Like the next conversation we see of him with Laura, he's not engaged at all. He's just like doing as much as he can to carry the conversation, but nothing else. Well, and the, and the fidgeting with the cord too, and the and the panels with the cord fiddling. It's like just kind of like, what can I do to distract from the pain? Disconnect. Uh, it's all surface level. I'm just kind of biding my time until I can get off this call. Well, good luck. Although the next, uh, I love, I loved the next scene so much. I like loved this one, but I hated it. I, I oh, like yeah. both loved and hated. Oh yeah, like I loved it because it was humorous and so accurate, but I also hated it because it was so accurate. What I love is like, this is the broad stroke of Christianity that I like make fun of Mm -hmm. because I totally get that. It's like, I get that like organized religious, like worshipers are more nuanced than this, but also they're not in the same breath. Even if it's more nuanced, it's just a watered down version of these same ridiculous beliefs of if you see a naked person, you'll get addicted to pornography. And it almost gets over it almost it just kind of glides by because we also have you know Craig dealing with or talking to this person about his decision to go to a regular college rather than a Christian college but the fact that this guy hasn't talked to his brother in 10 years just because he's gay because he doesn't want to encourage him it's the era of grit it's where they normalized abandoning family because they were gay like families fucking kicked their kids out because they were homosexuals and it's like okay i mean it still kind of happens now but it was that it you know it was much worse before well and what i hear so here's where i get kind of like bitter and hashtag jaded is the fact that he cries over his brother being gay not because he hasn't spoken to him in 10 years that's where i get pissed off because he's ashamed of it yeah. This is so sad and it's basically like his brother doesn't even exist anymore. Well, and he can and he can justify it through like 
the Bible says being gay is bad, so I cannot talk to my brother for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Okay, so here's the part where I got mad. Yes. The 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 iconic moment in which you became angry. Your Why? eyes blew red. <laughs> Why do you think he decides that he is saying goodbye and getting rid of everything? Everything that she's given him. And not just like sending it back to her. Not just sending back this beautiful quilt, her childhood photos, like things that she would probably want, but instead he's burning them. It's it's how he copes. I guess. It's how he copes. It's all we see him burn his pictures, we see him burn so many things. And I think he punctuates new chapters with burning the past chapter. It's just very I mean, of course, you know, we understand that he is hurt by the dissolution of their romantic relationship. But it just seems very much out of nowhere that he just takes tapes, letters, jewelry, photos. I mean, I guess he doesn't he doesn't burn the blanket. He does save that, but everything else, it's just very it's just an air of finality when it doesn't need to be. And I'm one of those people, like, I had an ex-boyfriend return everything that I had ever given to him, and it broke my heart because I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess the gifts I've given to you aren't worth anything unless we're dating, so that's good to know. And it, it's just, to me, I was heartbroken broken in this moment for Raina because there's all these things that she gave initially as a friend and it's like to him if they're not romantically involved he's decided that this relationship is meaningless which is heartbreaking absolutely and like and i think it's clear in the other panels as well that like she was still trying to engage in a relationship with yes. him regardless of capacity and i and and in her defense too she was very transparent she's like i'm not available for a relationship right now and though it was clunky and though it was complicated and though she finally came to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I also honor that his response is very valid. Do I think burning her things is valid and like appropriate in response? No. I think it's very much that place of like we we are doubling down on it being Craig's narrative. Yes. So why wouldn't it be that he can burn the things and then but I couldn't burn the blanket? Oh, because you can only see things from, like, your perspective. Exactly. And then we immediately jump to to him not being a Christian anymore. He really throws that out at left field, or throws that at us from left field. I don't know baseball metaphors. Something, something, it was a surprise. And he does go on and explain more about how he had his crisis of faith. And we do, I think you and I have both talked about some seeds that have been planted earlier on in the story that show that there is a crisis of faith to come. But I feel like he really just kind of like, oh yeah, by the way, I moved out and I come back sometimes. And also I'm not Christian anymore. And it's like, okay, all right, when did that happen? And I do, you know, I do completely relate with him there. My parents don't know that I don't subscribe to, you know, the Judeo-Christian ideal of the God they worship 
because the same thing, because they would be, you know, solely concerned with my salvation. It would probably break their hearts if they knew, you know, how much I don't care about their religion. And and I agree with him. Like, there is, I think when you actually read the Bible, there's so much in there that is good that you can glean. But I think when you look at the religion part of it, there's so much that is twisted that it ruins the message. It takes the message and it morphs it into something that is and can be very toxic. I think my mom knows. Have y'all talked about it? No, but I think my mom knows. I've had I've had really big conversations with her about how like I feel like when she talks about prayer that I feel it's very dismissive of being proactive. Mm. Like and how when she's brought up prayer in our relationship that like I feel as though she's dismissing my problems as being something that can't be dealt with by me alone and that her definition of like praying for me doesn't mean the same definition as like what I think praying for me means. That's fair. I think she respects it. I don't know. I was talking to Rob today about the difference between like a zealot and a cult, a cult mm-hmm. mentality. And there's the, the fine line between the two is so thin for me. Mm-hmm. That's like what separates someone who is both like feeling that organized religion gives them peace and helps them heal versus organized religion gives them a purpose in life and defines their entire reality. How did you feel about the cave that they find? Like, because that was such think, a, that was such a strange reveal for me. I think the cave for me was kind of it was one I breezed through and then I like went back and revisited. And I think it's like again, it's a metaphor for perspective. It's a parable about perspective. I think so, about getting older. Yeah, it's about getting like oh, I know what I saw when I was younger, and then. We went back the next day and then we went back the next day and it is, it's about getting older. It's about the things that were grandeur, that were mysterious, that were unexplainable before suddenly become very minute and become very ordinary. And I think this is interesting because we definitely see a big difference between Craig and Phil because Craig pockets it away as some like fantastical thing he imagined, but Phil is like, no. We're going for the practical answer. It existed. I remember it. I love that because I think that's like, and what's beautiful about the cave metaphor is that that in practicality is faith. Mm-hmm. Having someone there to be like, you know, Craig's like, oh, you know, it happened. But like, I think it was our imagination. Feels like, no, I was there and I saw it. Yeah. And that's so wonderful. And I think it it continues to play into that idea that he talks about in the previous chapter where something has more value when you have someone to share it with. Yeah. Okay. Real quick before we jump to the next chapter, who do you think paints over the mural in um, Raina's room? Do you think it's Steve? Do you think it's Ben? I think it's Ben. You think it's Ben? You think Ben was immediately like, fuck this guy. He's out. No, I think it was Steve. It was probably Steve. I think he's such a sweet dad. And I think as soon as he realized that his daughter was sad about something, he was like, I'm getting rid of this. It's gone. 
I'm removing what made my little sweetheart sad because Steve is a good dad. Yeah, that like that looks like a dad's hand. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's not completely gone in that final panel. Yeah, there's like a smidge left. There's a tiny you can little never, wisp. You can never completely erase what happened. Yeah, there's always going to be that glimpse of memory. You can't completely erase what's already been written on the wall. Exactly. And now we go into where we find out what created his crisis. What, while I do still believe that the separation with Rena, the separation with his muse, what he sees as the personification of the beauty he finds in Christianity is taken from him. I think that is the catalyst for him beginning to question his faith. And then we see the event that truly shifted him away from his obsession with the church. And ironically, it's, you know, this book that he's been obsessed with since he was a teenager, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes, which was funny to me because the big shake in my faith was when it was brought to my attention when I was, you know, doing my usual reading of the Bible that there are different tellings of the creation story and they're they're told in different ways and the differences between the gospels you know if they're telling the same story and they're telling it differently which one is actually accurate why are they why are all these stories there if they're not accurate so i completely understand what he's saying like if you if there are parts of the bible that you can't trust if there are parts of the bible that were added afterwards can you truly say that this book is the word of God? Exactly. The pastor just kind of does the pastor thing and just kind of like, oh, don't worry about it. Ah, don't worry about it. That's why you go to seminary school. <sighs> yeah. Talk about this stuff with the other Bible nerds. Don't discuss this with me who didn't go to seminary school. And I'm with him. Like, I am with Craig. If the Bible is modified, then it didn't come straight from the mouth of God. And if it didn't come straight from the mouth of God, then can you consider it the word of God? Or is it just the interpretation of the people at the time? And if it's the interpretation of the people at the time, can you trust it? One, stop letting religion define the entirety of people. Let religion be something that benefits people in a way that meditation does. Yes. Let it be something that gives people a peace of mind and allows them to operate in their world with a little less turbulence and allowing them a place in which they don't cause more turbulence on other people's lives. Yes. And I love that panel where it's my faith came crumbling down so easily. It's so beautiful. Again, it's the, it's the, it's the same beast that he burns in the trash can. <gasps> it when the paint is. comes up. Oh my God. I didn't even notice that it is. It's the same beast beast he expels from his body but it's still within mm -hmm. him and i love him just like just living you know yeah. we get these scenes where he just gets to live and experience and do what do what christian kids do when you're released it's like you live within these very close parameters but then you go out and you see that there's so much you can do you can go to the library and you can read any book. You can go out into the world and you can talk to anyone. And there's, you know, 
Whereas before, all you could eat was meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Now you have a buffet. I feel like I read this book too fast, Renee. I know. When I got done with this last chapter, I was like, wait, I need to go back. I need to go back. I ne- There's so much more that I missed and I need to absorb. I love that he gets both like these moments of connection and then these moments of being both a wallflower. Yeah, he gets to experience both. It's similar to the time where he was at the party with Reyna and he felt very alone. But this time, instead of it escaping, it almost seems like he embraces it. He realizes that he doesn't need to be the center of attention and that he doesn't need to leave. He can just be a part of the mass. Also, how much do you love that these uber-religious parents uh, birthed Craig, who obviously has his crisis of faith, and Phil, who marries a geologist? Who marries a geologist. And I love that part, too, where it's like someone who is so like married to the actual like age of the Earth and like mm-hmm. studying the age of the Earth. This is where I need to know more about his parents. Like, How okay were they? with the fact that they had their wedding at a museum instead of a church. I guess the reception was there. So maybe the wedding was at a church, but I feel like the depiction we get of his father at the wedding reception is so different than every part. Yeah. Yeah. Like his father looks like a real person as opposed to this imposing, scary figure from when he was a child. That's softening in old age. And then when they bring up the the question of like, how's your faith? And I still get this, like, oh, are you yes. going to church? Are you like, and it's like, no, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm busy and just avoiding the question. And like, that's where I think the really powerful image comes on the page where more than anything, we're comforted that you've dedicated your life to Jesus. Have you found a church yet? And then it's like escaping from the the narrative mm-hmm. in the panel like the above the above image where he's like talking to them like i love you too uh we're so proud of we're so proud of you and then bringing up religion and he separates from the conversation and i'm like oh i didn't i never have an image that so represented what i felt oh i'm disconnected from this conversation now yeah it's like an out of body experience exactly like this is no longer about me or my relationship with Christ this is about you feeling like he raised a child in the way you thought you should raise a child. Yeah. And you almost wonder if like, of course, there's that love they have for, you know, Phil and his wife. We see that they're obviously extremely happy at their wedding reception. So I don't think there's any sort of animosity there, but I do think there might be a seed of it. Just the way they're like, we're so happy that you're so religious, which tells me that Phil probably where Craig was afraid to tell his parents that he wasn't religious anymore. I think Phil probably let them know in more certain terms. I'm not going to pull any punches. This is where I stand. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. What do you think about the among versus within? I think that is beautiful. I think that's a real beautiful part because it shows that there is, it shows what he talks about earlier, where he doesn't necessarily see a place for himself in this strict religion of Christianity, but he definitely has 
a love for these certain parts of the Bible. And this part in particular, the within and or among you. So the idea that this this perfect peace, this final destination, if you will, isn't so much a place, but a piece of yourself. And I love too that it kind of like brings it, it's no longer, like I, f- I feel like that amendment that Andor kind of takes out of the self-absorption of Christianity, the self-absorption of religion. Like it's all, it's only about me and it's only about my nuclear family. And then takes it into, I think among, takes it into this kind of like this collective human condition commentary of the world. Like the kingdom of God is among us, so we should care about everyone. It, it should be understood that the kingdom of God is inherently in everyone. And we should help them if we see a fellow member of the kingdom suffering. This importance of connection, no matter who it is. And why do you think this is when he decides to pull the quilt out? Because we know that he's been home before this and he left it there. So what do you think changes to make him want to seek it out and pull it from the dreaded cubby hole? Boredom. Nostalgia. <laughs> I really uh, do. <laughs> You're like, boredom, honey. He needed something to do. Boredom, um, <laughs> curiosity, nostalgia. Do you think there's, I think seeing the happiness of his brother gave him a bit of regret because he talks so much about the love and the skill and everything that went into making this quilt. And it's this person that he just kind of discarded, but clearly still has some strong imagination and memories of. I think that's something that came after when he opened the quilt and saw it and was like, and really studied it. And mm-hmm. was like, oh, I see now. I think it, I think that's something that comes in the, like the retrospective older age, like the ability to look at something like, oh, someone really put time into this and cared about this thing. The fugue state that he wakes up in is very similar to the first time he wakes up after he gets back from Raina's house. They're like, oh, I'm in a guest room. And he is in a guest yeah. room. At that <laughs> point, he is in a guest room. Oh, it's, yeah. it's so weird when you're old enough to like treat your parents' house as a guest room. I love that he just kind of go, he goes through the motions of the Christmas holiday. And then I love ending on the blankets of snow. Mm-hmm. I love the phrase we use ritual as a mnemonic device. I think that is a truly powerful statement because it's like we use ritual as a way to remember what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do next. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's, he, he sees the joy in spending this time with these people, but he can feel there's something missing, something that he needs to find. And it's beautiful this, how satisfying it is to leave a mark on a blank surface, how satisfying it is to show that you were there, to show that you were present, to show that I am human and I have done this. And it's like a map of my movement, no matter how temporary, just kind of accepting his place in the universe. I guess going back to where we see him thinking about Reyna again, just kind of appreciating that there are these moments in his life that 
are going to matter, but they're not going to be permanent. And these things that are going to shape you, but you're going to you're going to take the lessons from them and you're going to move past them and you're going to have this fluidity of movement and you're going to grow and shift and change. And I don't know, I kind of trailed off there, but you get what I'm saying. I yeah, think I do. Or maybe, maybe I just meandered like a freshman philosophy student. I don't know. No, I think, I think you're right. I think like mnemonic rituals allow us the opportunity to kind of reset in ourselves, come back to where we were in the ether and come back and just kind of like reestablish like, Oh, this is where I am. Even if we want that reset or not, it's just the ability to come back to like zero. I think it's important for him to have this, like you said, the that ritual to kind of reset his mind and reset where he is because we see him kind of floating through the day-to-day motions, which I think was good for him at the time. But you also, as an adult, especially when you're trying to find a place for yourself outside of strict religion, you need to find a new cornerstone. And for him, I think the next step is moving past that temporary state and finding the new cornerstone where he's going to proceed from. And that's life. And that's life. And that's life. Thank you so much for joining us on what I like to describe as an immersive journey through Blankets by Craig Thompson. If you like what you hear and you would like to continue following us or you have a graphic novel that you would like to suggest to us, you can follow us at Read This Way Period Podcast. That is our handle on Instagram. You can also just add at gmail.com and you can send us an email for a suggestion. Uh, Feel free to DM us. Feel free to talk about your opinions about the books with us. We love you. We hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. This is going to come out after Thanksgiving. So we hope that you have a happy holiday season and continue listening to us up until the Christmas season. Do we want to tell them what we're covering next? No. Okay. (laughs) it's a surprise (laughs) okay never mind i said nothing and i am jace wingate and i'm renee pogue and this is read this way 